pick it. She lays it off. Teresa Polias. It's an absolute peach. Is driving. What a hit from Melina Reyes. Wow. And Sam Kerr has a hat trick. Meet him up. We're back here on Radio Dub on FNR Football Nation Radio. My name's Josh Parrish. I've got Pakua Frimpong here with me as always. Pakua, let's talk Matildas. It's been a little while since we saw them in action against New Zealand, but we've had time to gather our thoughts on the performances of Tony Gustafson's team. Uh, we've both been pretty critical of his coaching. Uh, Jeff Hopkins, less so. He was pretty pretty confident that the team would pull through when it really matters. What did you make of the showings in those two friendly fixtures? I thought the first game was quite—it uh, was quite telling. It was a little—it was disappointing to watch. Obviously, came down to those two um, late goals from Sam Kerr and Emily Van Egmond, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, lucky to get that win. But it wasn't a good, wasn't pretty football. You know, we saw some changes in the midfield with Katrina Gorry in there, and she did provide a little bit of a spark. You know, she's a fantastic, you know, football player and. She should have been in that Matilda squad, you know, a while ago. But obviously, you know, other circumstances didn't allow her to be part of the team. But seeing her now, it's been quite good. And in that second game, we saw, you know, Gorry again and with Van Egmond in that defensive midfield partnership. And we saw Alex Chidiak come on, uh, you know, late on in the game and really provide something for the Matildas. And she showed a lot, I believe, though they mm. they didn't score with her honour. They might have scored only one when she came on. But it was more so about her play and how the Matildas went forward and how they really, you know, stopped New Zealand from being, you know, able to really put any kind of pressure on them. And it was quite an easy game, you know, to say the least. Yeah, I felt that that second game was, was pretty comfortable in particular. And they, they started with pretty much the same team, which surprised me. But then all of those early changes came through and you saw a bit of squad rotation, a few chances for players on, on the bench and on the fringes. But what this really reinforced to me, I guess there's two lessons I took from it. One is that Katrina Gorey completely changes the emphasis of this side and it also improves Mary Fowler's play. Because she's been yeah, so much more involved between the lines when Katrina Gorey is able to actually get her the ball and pick her out. And she's also become more active and searching for the ball more because she knows she can get it in those situations. And, and the link between those two players was like the biggest takeaway for me and the biggest plus point. Uh, I think they those two immediately have a really good chemistry and a really good connection. And it basically means you've got a route through the middle of the park on the ground, which means that we don't see anywhere near as many diagonal long balls pumped in Sam Kerr's direction. Was it perfect? Absolutely not. Um, and you saw, you know, some struggles to find the back of the nets uh, in the first game. Uh, you saw some of the old bad habits coming back into it. You didn't see Sam Kerr as involved as you might have liked to in in deeper phases of play, uh, based on the kind of goal poaching role she's occupying at the moment and her instinct to run off the last defender rather than come deep for the ball. Um, But, you know, an improvement for sure. Uh, The other lesson for me from this was that this is the group that we have and I don't think it's changing much. No, and If you're not going to experiment in a friendly against New Zealand, you've already decided. Your mind is made up pretty much. And I, I don't think that the players who ventured over to Europe who still believe in their heart of hearts that they're going to be in that World Cup squad, I think they're going to be disappointed. No, I, and I think, you know, 
we didn't. I don't think we had to wait for these two games to tell us that. I think Jeff Hopkins made. I'm oh, not Jeff Hopkins. <laughs> uh, Tony Gustafsson made it quite clear when he had that. You know, the press conference before those two matches. He he you know he basically said, "I'm we're going to start." figuring out what we're going to do for the World Cup, which, you know, we had criticisms of because I think you should have been started doing that a lot earlier. But this is a group, and it's quite interesting because Alex Chidiak, you know, wasn't going to be in this group if Kyra Cross was able to play. So I feel like there's only maybe a few players who kind of might have an opportunity to get in this squad, but I think this is the, this is ultimately going to be the squad that we take to the Women's World Cup, and we are going to live and die by the results and, you know, why, the way mm. they play. And I don't I know in football, the results aren't everything. It's more so the way you play. I think that's more important to me. The second game, game gave me a little bit more confidence and, you know, reading Ante Jukic's, uh piece, you know, about Katrina Gari and Mary Fowler, I think was quite insightful about, you know, their playing style. And I think Mary Fowler as the 10, that for me is her role. I think she's very mm. good in it. And I, the Matildas allow her to be free with, you know, some really – high-quality players up front. I think we just need a little bit more reassurance defensively because at times during those both those two games, that centre-back partnership, they looked quite shaky and it's not the quickest. One is quite mm. slow and teams that, you know, teams in Europe who are really fast and move the ball quickly and their passing is so accurate. I think Alana Kennedy and, you know, Polkinghorne, they are very susceptible to those uh, those kinds of issues. And I think that's probably somewhere we need to look at. But unfortunately, it looks like Tony Gustafsson, we're not really going to see any big changes. And I don't think we have many other defensive mm. options as well. So we just kind of have to create a system that covers for their lack of speed. If it's Ali Carpenter and Steph Catley maybe, you know, coming in a little bit more and maybe at times having Catley or Carpenter. Pro- I'd prefer Catley, unfortunately, to play maybe mm. as a centre-back role to, you know, cover with that, you know, the pace issues. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the natural fit is to go to a back three, um, but then you lose control in midfield unless you play a 3-5-2 and then you've still got your midfield three in there controlling the game. You've got an extra defender there, maybe a converted fullback, as you say, to cover pace-wise for Polkinghorne and Kennedy's weaknesses. But that doesn't seem to be where Gustafsson wants to take the team. It was interesting. You mentioned that Ante Jukic piece, um, him asking Gustafsson about that directly. and So they finally had that chat. which is They, nice. they did have the chat, the phone call, the infamous phone call did happen, which is good to see. And his answer was basically that from a purely tactical standpoint, that makes sense. But the players don't spend enough time in that system at club level uh, for them to learn it in time for the World Cup and they don't have enough time in training camp to implement that. And I disagree with that. I, I think players are capable of adapting quite quickly if they're given clear enough instructions. Uh, but it was at least good to hear the rationale from directly from the national team coach. I think I think here's, it's, it's a fair point in terms of, you know, the players learning this. Because I, I, it is a quite, you know, a drastic, you know, a little bit of a mm. big change and I don't think many of those players, their teams play in any in that type of style because a lot of European teams, women's teams, don't play like that traditionally because they don't, they're not forced to. However, I do think this ultimately comes down to Tony Gustafsson not preparing earlier and using other camps as a way to, you know, implement a, you know, a system that's, uh, that could mm. be beneficial because if he's saying it's a, the correct tactical choice, 
why was it not a correct tactical choice that you thought of a while ago? You know, you're getting paid a decent amount of money to be the national team head coach. Did it not ever cross your mind that this could have been an option for you? And why didn't you try different styles earlier? Why are we now, these are the styles we have to stick with. We live and die by them. And sometimes we fall quite, you know, when we fall, we fall hard. And, you know, it's mm. we don't have as much room to, you know, pick ourselves up and really make big changes. Tony G at the moment is like a uni student who did his assignment the night before and actually did, you know, a fairly good job, but at the last minute and said, oh, look, I could have caught an H1, but uh, unfortunately, you know, I just didn't have enough time to study. And you're thinking, well, you actually did. You just weren't familiar enough with the playing group when you took the role and took too long to find the right formula and group of players that actually works. And the failures at the Asian Cup reinforced that. So we had to go back to the drawing board later than necessary and come up with a solution that can be implemented in a shorter space of time. Still, Gori changes the equation. If Chids is in the picture, she changes the equation just through their preferences as midfielders and their, their qualities, um, it, w- even regardless of any overarching instructions from, from the manager. That that does make the Matildas a better side. If Chidiak ends up being the final squad, I have no idea, but the fact that she was able to get into this one, albeit as an injury replacement player, and had the opportunity to impress Tony G in the flesh, in person, that's, that's a positive for me. Um, but as for other fringe players, players like... For example, Angie Beard, who we've been angling for, I just don't get for a it. That one, I, that one, honestly, that's mm. probably the biggest question I have. I, I don't think you can tell me that she's not good enough to make this squad. Like, I don't think you can tell me that there are three, four players better than her, um, or like two players better than her in her position that you know deserve to be in the squad more than her. I think she's consistent, reliable. She has experience in big moments and high pressure moments, and that is what the World Cup is. It is not just a you know women's mm. World Cup you know, in in France or somewhere else across the world, it is at home and it's a lot of pressure playing in front of home fans. And obviously the discourse around, you know, the Matildas, everyone wants to be really positive and everybody wants to be, you know, we're just so grateful the women's sport is, you know, here and so and so. But we have to be, you know, critical and it, the pressure is going to be on for it to do well because it's not just about the Matildas doing well, it is about growing the game in this country. There is more than... The trophy at the end of it, there is, it is so it goes so much deeper than that. Blind faith and nearsighted positivity does the national team no favors. You know, yeah, it's condescending, and it'll yeah. end up with a reality brick to the face at the end of it, and it, when it's all said and done. But I use Angie Beard as an example of players who haven't got a look in so far, and probably are locked out of the picture yeah. now, and that's a shame because the door, in my opinion, should always be open to new players based on form. Regardless of if the tournament's next year or next week, you know, until you have to actually submit your final squad to FIFA, the door door should be open to new players uh, to force their way in. And that doesn't seem like it's the case. It seems like we still have this really ingrained hierarchy in the Matildas setup. And that's, that's disappointing to me. And I don't know how to change that. And I don't know that that's entirely down to Tony G either. That, that no, hierarchy that, was no, in I place before that, he got there. No, I think that just comes down to, you know... A, a system and a setup and a poor foundation to say, you know, mm. I, I, you know, I've said it multiple times. I think the foundation is the key to everything. No matter what you do in life, in every aspect you go about your, the way you are as a human being or whatever businesses you're a part of, if you have a poor foundation, 
you cannot build from there. And I think the foundation is not solid. There are crumble. It's crumbling. You know, little pieces are coming off here. By you know, and you can maybe fix it with a little bit of this and fix it with a little bit of that. But at the end of the day, when the big pressure comes and you put a lot of you know a lot of big load on you know that concrete, it will crumble because you haven't set up proper precautions so you can you know succeed at you know the highest level possible. Oh, I guess Katrina Gorey in that metaphor is the duct tape that we're. She is. Uh, <laughs> She's a little bit stronger than duct tape, though. Papering over the cracks. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll see if, if she can uh, – her, her force of uh, playmaking will at the base of that midfield. Can... She was good, though. She, she was, was so, really good. so nice to watch. You know, <laughs> you know, watch we spoke about her when she – you know, in the early women's season. She's been phenomenal and her playing style is – you just like she's just it's so fun creative. To see with better players yeah, as well so because she's been so frustrated at Brisbane this season Absolutely. with the results. And just like her drawing players in, and just her, the way she gets every player involved, it it solves it has solved. It's so interesting that one player can solve you know some of some really big questions that we had about the Matildas. But going forward, she provides them so much. We just need a little bit more defensive cover, and we've been saying that for a while. But that that question is a lot harder to you know answer than the you know the attacking ones because I think we have the players available to create a good attacking system just the defensive ones are I'm not quite sure what the real answer is out for that one well speaking of which I reckon we should take a quick break and on the other side I want to talk a little bit of WSL I want to hear from you uh, about which Matilda's players are in form which teams are looking to challenge for the title because it is a pretty tight title race over in England at the moment so we'll get into that on the other side of this break here on Radio Dub <laughs> 